Welcome. It's indisputable. I'm your host, Rashad Richard, going to be with you. We have a lot on the agenda today. Breaking down news of the day, my co host, me, yours truly, a guy named Rashad Richie. All right. Top story of the day um, Republicans finally decided on a nominee to be the new Speaker of the House, a guy who tried to let's just say, design an overthrow of the actual democracy that elected him. A reporter reminded them of this, posed the question, here's what happened. Wait a minute. They seemed quite organized when that reporter posed the question. I wonder, before they did the press conference, did somebody say, hey guys, if somebody reminds us that this guy actually created a design to overthrow democracy, we're all going to respond in this way. Let's see it again. They are afraid of mere questions from a reporter. And you think they are going to stand up to, I don't know, an oil tycoon? Maybe a bank executive. How about a billionaire? They have no chance. These individuals are feckless. They are afraid of their own sense of governance. They know good and damn well overthrowing the election was illegal. They know anyone who was a part of it is adversarial and antithetical to what we call democracy. They are opposers of the sentiment of the Constitution. That declares this nation to be allegedly a democracy. So let me give you some more background. Put them up. I will tell you who the new leader is for now. It may not last. Uh, This person still has to pass a general vote to become speaker. So Tuesday night, House Republicans presented to the public Representative Mike Johnson. You actually know him. You may not remember his name. This is the caucus's new choice for House Speaker, surrounded by a cluster of supporters. Quote, you helped lead the effort to overturn the election results. ABC reporter Rachel Scott posed the question. It's a relevant question. You just put a guy in leadership capacity, perhaps, who attempted to overthrow the government. The Republicans behind him jeered and shouted, shut up. Johnson smiled, shook his head. Next question, he said, um, as if he's above answering the question. Uh, This is an important question. This is not a nothing burger. This is not a distraction. It's important to know if the new potential leader of the House acted in a way that's against federal law, that's against the Constitution, and more importantly, 
against democracy, meaning people. There's more. Um, at the uh, New York Times, at New York Times explained in a deeply reported story last year, Johnson's arguments had a singular influence. About three quarters of Republicans supporting Trump's election challenge, the Times noted, quote, relied on the arguments of a low profile Louisiana Congressman, Representative Mike Johnson, the most important architect of the Electoral College objection. On December 9th, Johnson tweeted, quote, President Trump called me this morning to let me know how much he appreciates the amicus brief we are filing on behalf of members of Congress. Indeed, this is the big one. So that's the guy. Donald Trump did, in fact, endorse him. He's the guy Trump endorsed. And Trump does his, <clears throat> does his endorsement this way. He says, you know, I, I like Mike. I think Mike's a good guy. Um, I don't have a negative word to say about Mike. Letting people know if you choose Mike, I'm not going to make up a name about him. Okay. All right. Um, this guy was the leader for about two hours. He was the GOP nominee before Mike Johnson. So it took only a matter of hours for the freshest GOP nominee for the US House Speaker position to withdraw his own candidacy after House Republicans made quick work out of raising support to nominate him. Uh, that's Representative Tom Emmer. Uh, he's actually the House Majority Whip, current representative out of Minnesota. He dropped out of the Speaker's race Tuesday after winning the simple top secret majority behind closed doors. Uh, why is that? Well, the dictator, Donald Trump, was not a fan of this fella. He gets a simple majority. Now, remember, before they go into the meeting, everyone says, whoever we choose, no matter what, we're going to support them to be the next speaker, period. He gets the simple majority. Everybody says, here, here, we have a leader. Trump says, ah, I don't think you do. We, I, we meant everybody but him. So he resigns. They then go back and choose the guy who would have led this nation into the abyss as their leader. This is about as serious as it gets on every single front imaginable. We will bring you updates as they come. Hell of a story. P. Diddy, Jada, Will Smith. According to the reports, there was a time that P. Diddy was going to snuff Will Smith and Jada because they both decided to hit on Lisa Lopez um, while Diddy was with Lisa. I know this is all convoluted and interesting as hell. All right, put up the picture full mass. So more people are actually jumping on this Jaden Will bandwagon. Uh, P. Diddy's former bodyguard says she and Will Smith tried to steal. I mean, damn, Jennifer Lopez can be stolen. Had no idea. But according to him, they tried to steal Jennifer Lopez from Diddy during their, well, let's just say entanglement. Here's the video. Tell me the story about how Puffy wanted to fight Will Smith over Jennifer Lopez. Oh, man. 
um, we were at a birthday party that I think either Matt Damien was giving for Ben Affleck. It was just a little gathering. It was at the Four Seasons. Will Smith and his sister and her husband, we were all sitting on this side of the room. Matt Damien, uh, Ben Affleck, Jennifer Lopez, Puff, Will Smith, and uh, Jada that was sitting on the other side of the room. So I know Puff so well that he stood up. When he stood up, he walked and like and did his own some some kind of way, like, and then he went like this, you know, like that. I went over towards him. I know to go over there towards him. So I go over towards him. And he said to me, he said, yo, I think Will and Jada is trying to scoop up Jennifer. I want you to stay close because I'm going to snuff him. <laughs> Let's put the picture up of um, the happy couple at that time. So, first of all, this must be a very deep thing because before the former bodyguard answered the question, he had to take his hat off. Did you see that move? That's a serious, when a man takes his hat off before providing an answer to a question, this is a tough thing. See that right there, look at that, okay? It's gonna be hard to do. Um, I, I have no idea why the bodyguard has decided to talk about this stuff openly. Maybe there's an agreement in place um, with the agency that is providing uh, the content for us today. Um, big ups to them for doing so. So this is a hell of a story. Now, there's already a narrative out here that says Puff Daddy uh, paid a million dollars to have Tupac uh, murdered. Okay, uh, Obviously, that's unconfirmed by Puff, because if it was, he'll be in prison. And these things are starting to add up in a narrative that if Oprah does a movie about P. Diddy, it's over. Done. Sean Diddy Combs and Jennifer Lopez, J-Lo, were an item right before the turn of the millennium. It was a big deal. They met on the music video set of J-Lo's song, If You Had My Love, and started dating soon thereafter. So December 1999, the duo, they were arrested together after running from a shooting that took place at a New York nightclub. J-Lo's charges were dropped after her release, but Diddy was hit with bribery. He was hit with gun possession. He was later acquitted, and the pair continued to be seen together at award shows in 2000. They broke up in 2001, and the In Living Color Dancer alluded to Diddy being unfaithful during their relationship. During their two-year stint as a couple, Diddy allegedly had to fight off some potential suitors, according to his former bodyguard. Two of those suitors were actually Jada and Will. Gene Deal claims that he joined his former boss Diddy at a birthday party. Actor Matt Damon threw for Ben Affleck when the incident occurred. Uh, Deal described it as a little get-together at the Four Seasons with a few Hollywood A 
listers. Um, all right, this is uh, interesting. So, you know, just another part of the narrative of how interesting Hollywood could be at times. But damn, will somebody have these bodyguards sign NDA because they're spilling all the tea? Let's put it up full mass. A woman has received from Dunkin' Donuts $3 million for hot coffee spilled. Uh, So in Atlanta, an elderly woman has reached a $3 million settlement agreement in a lawsuit against a local Dunkin' franchise after she suffered burns from a coffee spill. According to her attorney, Morgan & Morgan attorney Benjamin Welch, the woman ordered the coffee in the drive-thru. After the employee handed her the coffee, the lid of the coffee came off, causing second and third degree burns to her thighs growing and abdomen. That's some nasty stuff. These injuries necessitated extensive skin grafts. Welch commented on the case saying, quote, America may run on Duncan, but our client had to relearn how to walk due to the severity of her burns. Her burns were so severe that she spent weeks in the burn unit at Grady Health and has had to entirely alter the way she lives her life. Walking still causes her pain. She can't go out in the sun and she must apply creams and ointments to her burns several times a day. There's more. The victim incurred over $200,000 in medical bills and continues to struggle with day-to-day activities. At the time of the incident, she was 70 years old and had recently retired from a long-held position as a federal government employee. The lawsuit alleged that the accident would not have occurred if the drive through employee properly secured the lid on the coffee cup. Golden Donuts LLC, the franchisee that operates the Duncan location, agreed to a $3 million settlement to compensate the woman for her injuries and the negative impact on her life. I actually concur with this ruling or this settlement. Uh, there's a similar case. Remember, the settlement draws parallel uh, to the well-known um, Libeck and McDonald's. Remember that. This was a, a case that was international in headlines and often referred to as the hot, hot coffee lawsuit. In that case, the plaintiff suffered third-degree burns after accidentally spilling McDonald's coffee on herself. Despite misconceptions about the case, uh, she was the passenger in the seat and the car was parked when the incident occurred. McDonald's had previously received numerous complaints about the temperature of their coffee and reported injury. So I did not appreciate how real this uh, saga is until law school. So in law school, we studied the case. It was one of our case assignments of the McDonald's uh, hot coffee spill. Number one, McDonald's did a great job making us believe it was a regular spill. Like we've experienced probably a hundred times in our life. But it wasn't. Um, The spill was extremely injurious. It literally went through her physical skin. It was exposed severely. We had to look at those photos. Those photos were part of evidence. It was one of the most gruesome pictures I've ever seen. And it was in the growing area. And this woman has significant suffering because of it. Uh, Once again, an elderly woman as well. Well, the reason why McDonald's was held responsible is because of tort liability. 
they literally had complaints galore nationally about the temperature of their coffee. Many people were injured because they refused to enact a policy to make sure that the temperature of their coffee was within a particular range to not harm a human being so severely. They decided not to engage a policy which would have been foreseeable as possible injury in the future. And so that's the reason they had an adverse ruling primarily. In this case, you have actual neglect. You have an employee of a company who's trained, especially when dealing with hot liquids, to do A, B, and C to avoid liability for the company. Well, that person did not follow. The individual received an injury, and there you have it. All right. Okay. We got more on the other side. It's indisputable. Stick and stay. All right, welcome back. Always good to be with you. Um, let me remind people of our membership opportunity. I want you to join because this is how we keep oil in the machine. All right, your support makes an impact on our mission. It drives positive change. At TYT, we don't hold back on our commentary. Uh, we're not purchased. We're not told what to say or not what not to say. Uh, our opinions are our opinions. Sometimes. People agree, sometimes they disagree. The bottom line is no corporate interest would tell us what to do. And that's because of you. That's because of every single one of you. Oftentimes we say things you will not hear in mainstream media. You will not hear in the national press, but we speak directly to the audience. Members amplify our voice and the work we do. You can become a member right now and be part of that dynamic truth telling around this nation and beyond. On your YouTube, page, if you're looking at me via YouTube, you can click the link join, just hit the join button. Or you can go to tyt.com slash join and make it happen. All right, we'll appreciate you in advance. Okay, over 9,000 says ball of co-host doc. I hear he's won awards and stuff. Uh, Thank you for that. Uh, So yes, let me say thank you to the team, uh, to Jordan and Alex. To Judith, uh, to Brett and Amber. That's how I first started, uh, was on the Twitch channel. Uh, and to every single one of you for everything that you all do to make this show what it is. So, a few days ago, I was in DC. Um, it was hosted by the National Press Club. This was the Multicultural uh, Media Association. And they have a correspondence dinner every year, led by a remarkable leader named David Morgan. And four awards were given. One happened to be uh, Kirsten from Meet the Press, the new host of Meet the Press. So I'm standing next to the host of Meet the Press. I'm like, why am I here? I mean, this this person, my goodness. Um, so I won the Fifth Estate Media Award. Very happy for the opportunity to engage. Proud of the work that the team does. That the team does. Very thankful for your continued support. We'll come out with uh, pictures today or tomorrow. Uh, and you all can see the great festivities that took place. It was really, really dope and a great time. All right, nasty habits, nasty dragon. Like I said earlier, Mike Johnson is not a good guy. He's much worse, <laughs> right? I agree. Mike knows how to get in and get stuff done. Unfortunately, I say that because he's a villain. I am sorry. Mike Johnson is officially speaking. The attacker has or should write themselves if Democrats didn't uh, suck so much. And messaging, you're right. I agree with you. Uh, Jackson Cruz, thank you so much for that. Uh, that Mike Johnson group 
was all mayonnaise and no seasoning. <laughs> That's a hell of a way to put it. Yes, it was all mayonnaise and no seasoning. You're all right. Astute observation. Colin Hutton. Okay, I'm confused. Did he play Peacemaker? <laughs> he did, didn't he? I forgot about that. Did he play Peacemaker after the Will Smith Chris Rock altercation? Are we to believe their past in uh, their past in Water Under the Bridge? Is Water Under the Bridge? You know, um, Puff Daddy is a reformed human being. It's Brother Love now. Okay? His new name is Brother Love. All right. The Little Gaming Channel. Thank you for that. Uh, Big Gene hates Diddy and has been telling Diddy business for years. I believe 90% of everything he says regarding Diddy. Why not 100? When he took the hat off, I knew he was about to tell a truth that was going to be profound. I knew it. All right. Um, isn't it interesting that P. Diddy, according to the narrative, uh, had one of Jada's uh, male acquaintances um, killed, according to the narrative, and was trying to beat up the other one? I'm just saying. All right, got something for you. Ladies and gentlemen, I wish you Karen would. You want to call the police on them for having a barbecue on a Sunday? You're going to feel free. Back off. I'm going to tell them there's an African-American man threatening my life. Give me my money so I can get the out of here. So get out and I'll bring you your money. No, I want it now. I'm not giving you anything where you're at. I can assure you. I'll call the cops on you then. I swear to God, you stupid Nobody should have to go through something like that. Let's put up the picture full of masks. I don't have all of the details. I would like more details. If someone has more detail than I currently have, please send it to indisputable. So the argument, according to what we're able to hear, is about a return and a reimbursement. She wants her money back, which I guarantee you is within misdemeanor territory. All right. We're not talking about felony money. We're talking about misdemeanor money. She wants her money back. The woman does not deny her. She does not say, no, I'm not giving you your money back. She says, I will bring it out to you. Uh, but I'm not going to do anything with you acting this way. Now, why did she say this? She said this because at this point, the individual uh, is no longer welcome inside of the facility. Now it's trespass. She has to leave. She has to walk out. But the woman is willing to go the extra mile, give her her refund, take it outside to her, to hand it to her directly so that the aggression is isolated away from the facility. This is a right that individuals have working inside a restaurant, period. They have the right to say, you're being aggressive. You're causing a scene and we're going to give you your money back. You're going to have to step outside for this to happen. No problem. The way this woman was acting toward um, the restaurant employee, completely insane. So she then decides to physically assault this lady. I mean, to just slap this. Put up the picture again. Put it up again. She slaps the woman, turns around as if she has done nothing. 
proceeds to get into a car that's called a getaway. I have to imagine that the Karen in question here, and we'll keep that picture up, that the Karen in question did not get to this point in her life by going around slapping everybody. She slaps people selectively. And in her estimation, the person in front of her is worthy of her slapping the individual. And I wonder why that exists. Could it be because she's decided to perceive the individual as less than, as not equal, as different? Because, well, it's a person working at a fast food restaurant getting on my nerve. It's a very sad thing. And I know the employees, they were trying to hold the manager back. Um, I would not have held a damn thing back. All right, I would have never held that manager back. That manager had the right to proceed in order to stop the individual from leaving uh, until the authorities arrived. He had the right to do so. And I would have never assumed she was going to do anything other than that. Okay, but these things happen, they should not happen. I want to echo, um, I used to work uh, in fast food restaurants, worked in multiple fast food restaurants. It's the most difficult job on the planet. You're on your feet all day, it's constant work. You're underpaid, underappreciated typically, and you have to deal with people like that. So I wanna take this moment to say thank you to everyone who serves us, gives us food, who puts a smile on their face, who says, may I help you? Even though you could never imagine what kind of problems, challenges they're facing at home. This never should have happened, all right? We appreciate uh, whoever recorded this and submitted it. All right, we got more on the other side. It's indisputable, stick and stay. Hell of a thing, all right, hell of a thing. An ex-Major League Baseball player, he gets accused of something. Uh, looks like it's a setup, it's an assault accusation, it's convoluted. We have uh, actual interview. Testimony provided. Uh, let me put up the picture full mass here. Okay, so former Dodgers pitcher Trevor Bauer is speaking out after a lawsuit involving himself and his accuser, Lindsey Hill. This lawsuit has now been settled. He can talk about it. Bauer was actually placed on administrative leave by the MLB. This happened in 2021 after the allegations were made by Lindsey Hill, who said Bauer assaulted her on two different occasions at his home during what she said began as consensual sex or sexual encounters between them both. So here's what Bauer said about the situation. Next victim, star pitcher for the Dodgers, a text Lindsey Hill sent to a friend before she ever even met me. What should I steal? She asked another in reference to visiting my house for the first time. The answer, take his money. So how might that work? I'm going to his house Wednesday, she said. I already have my hooks in, you know how I roll. Then after the first time we met, net worth is 51 mil, she said. Bitch, you better secure the bag, was the response. Uh, but, but how was she gonna do that? Need daddy to choke me out, she said. Being an absolute whore to try to get in on his 51 million, read another text. 
Then, after the second time we met, former Padres pitcher Jacob Nix told her, you got to get this bag. I'll give you 50000 Lindsay replied. Her AA sponsor asked her at one point, do you feel a tiny bit guilty? Not really, she replied. Since then, her legal team has approached me multiple times about coming to a financial settlement. But as I have done since day one, I refuse to pay her even a single cent. Uh, in August of 2021, Lindsay Hill's claims were heard in court. And during those legal proceedings, critical information was deliberately and unlawfully concealed from me and my legal team. Uh, information like this video, which was taken by Lindsay Hill herself the morning after she claimed she was brutally attacked, emotionally traumatized, and desperate to get away from me. Uh, and now we have the metadata, so there can be no dispute. Uh, it was taken mere minutes before she left my house on the morning of May 16th, 2021, without my knowledge or consent, of course. Uh, in it, you can see her lying in bed next to me while I'm sleeping, smirking at the camera without a care in the world, or any marks on her face. I think it paints a pretty clear picture of what actually happened the evening of May 15th and why the video was originally concealed from us. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, after hearing the evidence available to her, Judge Diana Gold-Saltman found that Lindsay Hill had misled the court. She found her claims to be materially misleading. Uh, she denied her request for a domestic violence restraining order, and she found that no sexual assault or non-consensual conduct took place. I actually have more information. Let's put up the picture for mass. Now, the individual who conducts the interview, I really don't rock with her. But because of who she's interviewing and the information provided or lack thereof, it is important for context. So Sarah Gonzalez interviewed Lindsey Hill following Bauer's release of the video. So we're talking about a direct response. So here's Hill's response when questioned about the video you just saw. You say this wasn't a setup. How can you expect anyone to believe that? That's a great question. I really appreciate you having me on to even have this conversation. Um, obviously, there's a lot going on around this. So I really appreciate uh, people who are asking questions about it. Um, the first thing I want to say is, you know, I think that Trevor did this intentionally with the text messages and how he framed this video. Um, there's several things in it that are not correct. Um, and I just want to start out by saying, you know, those it's so valid for people to question those text messages. But the root of the problem here is that he is presenting this as one conversation when in reality he had thousands of message messages to choose from, took those, made it look sequential, which it was not. Um, there is no combined screenshot of those things going on one after the other. And as I said last night as well, um, there's no text message that ever exists. Otherwise, he would have you know put it out there, uh, combining you know anything about a setup uh, through rough sex finances all in one. Those were handpicked and they were not, they were from multiple different conversations all before we met up. Um, and I, I think that the video in general doesn't even talk about what actually happened between us two, which is what would have come out during a, a jury trial. Um, you know, these were all messages that happened before. And then of course the video is so valid as well for people to ask questions about. Um, but I do think that that video was entirely misleading. He also references the uh, restraining order hearing, which people also have questions about. Um, he says that he was cleared of any wrongdoing, which is actually incorrect. Um, in our civil case, the judge had actually ruled that he had not 
been cleared of any wrongdoing. Um, and that was a federal court judge. So, um, so okay, so I, I want to get to the to the domestic violence uh, restraining order hearing as well. But I mean, so you're saying you're saying that it's misleading because you did you're admitting that you did talk about rough sex and wanting rough sex. You did talk about uh, he, him needing to choke you out. You did talk about stealing his money, but it's misleading because he put them together in the same video as if you had said it in the same conversation when in fact it was separate conversations, correct? That's that's what why it's misleading. Correct. And as well as not showing, you know, the messages that occurred after where it discusses it strictly in the term of, you know, being a baseball wife or something like that. Or something like that. Okay. I'm I'm just curious if you know like the statistical likelihood of you texting your friend premeditated texts saying you wanted him to choke you out and steal his money, take his money and him actually choking you out and those two things not being related. Um, I think those are fair, fair questions. Um, her answers uh, do not make much sense. I do believe uh, some of this was glossed over by uh, the anchor. However, she was trying. So uh, Gonzalez would actually grill about specific text and actions during the incident. Here it is. But it does cause a lot of questions um, as to why I was you know, seeking Trevor out. But at the end of the day, there was nothing about a setup with violence and all of this stuff and getting financial game. It was strictly, you know, a mm -hmm. 25 or however old I was at the time, girl trying to get attention from those things and phrasing it in a sarcastic way before we met. Okay, so I've got a couple other questions on that. Um, so you said in court that he sexually assaulted you on two different encounters. And you say the first time that you you say he choked you unconscious. Clearly the insinuation is you didn't like it because now you're calling it an assault. But why did you make the drive back to LA to meet back up with him a second time if this man had just assaulted you by your own account? I think that's a really good question. How I phrased I it and how I um, in the past is that uh, I was so embarrassed by the first encounter um, that I felt something you know, deep in me to go and take the power back and to be better and to be what he wanted in, in, the, in a sense. Um, and so I don't know, there's been a lot of, you know, through all the processes, um, expert witness experts on the psychology of what happens when you are assaulted X, Y, Z. Uh, but there was something in me that felt like I needed to make it better in a sense. Okay, um, but you texted Trevor before you met him, telling him you liked rough sex. Then you texted him after your first sexual encounter with him, which you now call an assault. And according to court records, you told him after that sexual encounter that you had quote, never been more turned on in your life. That's not yeah. All right, um, the result of the suit in question is important to highlight. So the former major league pitcher, uh, Trevor Bauer, uh, and the woman who accused him of sexual assault and assault in 2021, they settled their legal dispute. Bauer's attorney saying this was October 2nd, both of their respective claims have been withdrawn with prejudice. Effective today, uh, so attorneys John Federoff and Sean Holly said in a statement. Now, I want to say this, I don't believe her, okay? Personally, I just, I don't believe her story. I don't believe her um, explanation. Um, I actually believe Bauer. Now, that's not common. Uh, typically, I do actually believe people who, who claim they've been victim because it takes a lot 
to go through the barrier of doubt that will permeate, especially in this kind of culture in America. I highlight this story for one very specific reason. As I said, I do not believe the woman and her accusation in this story. A lot of people don't believe it. The judge did not believe her, okay? It harms actual victims who have to encounter real monsters. And so because of the narrative that can permeate from that, many times it goes unreported. There are some stats that show over 90% of assaults like this go completely unreported. When an individual makes an accusation, those accusations have to be taken seriously. When somebody does what I believe this woman did, she weakens the overall requirement of belief that we need in order to make sure more people empowered to come forward. This is a humanity aspect, okay? Um, I'm not sure if the authorities are going to pick this up or not. Uh, naturally, there are many people saying that she should be arrested for the false accusation. Um, I'll let that be. Hell of a story, a Dallas man is suing after mistaken identity. Cops decide, well, to do even more. All right, let me go to the video, and I got a lot of twists and turns. Here it is. Okay, okay. Well, what's your information? That's it. That's all. That's all. Yeah, I'm finna. I'm finna go get some of my papers. Something to eat. Okay. Like, hey, if you're good, sir, you're good. I'll be right back. Okay. Yeah. I'm gonna step up on you. I'll explain to you. I know, step out. I'll explain everything. No, sir. Tell me why. Right now, you are being detained. Come on and step out. You're gonna get tased. Come on and step out. 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 Step out. Come on and step out. It was the wrong man. He believed there was something foul happened. He's been arrested and not told why. They taser him. He's confused. He's mad. He's upset. And now he's just yelling, help, help. Put up the picture. They had the wrong man from the beginning, and they should have known it. According to a lawsuit filed in federal court, 27-year-old Sylvester Hayes 
a former security officer and a single father who lives and works in Dallas is suing the city, alleging excessive force during his October 16th arrest after a case of mistaken identity put up the picture of what I call despair. I want you to imagine something just for a moment. Imagine you're pulled over by the police. They won't give you any answers. They open your door, proceed to arrest you, tell you, oh, no, 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 it's okay. We're just, we're just doing this. We're just detaining you and refuse to provide information beyond that. I can tell you as a black male, that would be terrifying to me. The lawsuit claims Dallas police did not use any methods to verify his identity. And because he had a similar name to another man, well, that was enough for the officers to decide to pull Mr. Hayes from his vehicle, arrest him, and process, in the process, beat him, kick him, put knees on his skull, his neck, his back, and use tasers on him. Mr. Hayes has no previous convictions or arrest. He's suing the city. Council member, city manager, police chief, two individual officers, and the police department as a whole claiming that policies created by the city or the lack of policies created or enforced led to the two officers using excessive force and causing him continued mental and physical anguish. According to the lawsuit, he suffers from post-traumatic stress disorder and faces pain and mobility issues from a shoulder dislocated by officers. He's also lost his job as a security officer after spending multiple days in jail, unable to come to work. Hayes also lost his home and his ability to, to provide for his four young children. He's a single father. He was set to face two charges for crimes unrelated to the reason he was arrested. Both of those charges have been dropped. Let me give you details on the arrest. So Hayes was out on the morning of October 16th, 2021. He was going to get breakfast for his children. He was pulled over by the Dallas Police Department. He can be heard telling the police sergeant after the arrest that the stop was initiated because he did not come to a complete stop at a traffic light. In the lawsuit, Hayes alleges he was pulled over as a result of racial profiling instead. When he was stopped, Hayes provided police with his ID, informed them he had a legally owned handgun in the vehicle. The body cam footage provided to the Star Telegram does not include any video or audio of Hayes informing officers of a gun. During the stop, one officer recognized Hayes, name and thought, not Hayes, but his name, and thought he was wanted. Just, you know, I think that guy's wanted on charges of uh, family violence, okay? That's according to the lawsuit. While there was a man with a similar name wanted on charges, his name was spelled Sylvester with a Y, now with an I. They could have done a simple check. They would have found also they had a different date of birth and everything else. According to the lawsuit, the Dallas police officer did not check Hayes' driver's license for any charges, but made the assumption that he was the same man wanted on those charges. When they ordered Hayes out of the vehicle, he began asking why he was being arrested. At that point, the lawsuit says officers began using unnecessary force on Hayes. When other officers arrived at the scene, the lawsuit says, they saw a gun in the car. It was the same gun Hayes had informed officers, uh, had informed officers, but the officers who were at the scene first did not tell the others that he had disclosed that he had a firearm. So you have 
Officers arriving, they're not told, hey, the guy does have a handgun. He's informed us of it. When they saw the handgun, officers who were arriving at the scene started calling out, gun, gun. Now, that'll get you shot and killed, saying that in front of the police. And the force on Hayes increased, even though he informed them. It was not until after the officer who originally said Hayes was wanted on a felony charge ran his ID through the police database, ran his ID and found out that he's not the same man. He has no arrest, no convictions, nothing. And you can hear her saying um, she's cursing. She's using profanity as the results come up on the computer. The officer said, F bro, it may not be him. Put it up. So after Hayes was placed in the patrol car, officers retrieved his handgun and can be heard uh, saying, Hayes, uh, he, he kept reaching for the handgun though. He kept reaching for his gun. Yeah. The sergeant on the scene would apologize to Hayes, quote, if you felt like they roughed you up or whatever, I do apologize. But anytime that there is a gun involved in a traffic stop, you know. The sergeant informed Hayes he ran the gun and it came back clean, despite Hayes telling them it was already lawfully owned. Hayes then tells the sergeant that he believes he was treated the way he was treated during the arrest because of the color of his skin, the way he looks. The sergeant tells him that has nothing to do with it. Officers began looking for anything they could use to file charges against Hayes after realizing they arrested the wrong man. That's according to the lawsuit. Let's put it up. They're plotting. In the body cam footage, after officers gave the sergeant their side of the story, he asked if they had a, a good warrant to arrest Hayes. Well, he does have speeding tickets, the officers tell him, but they didn't know about them until they ran his name through the police database. So the three kept brainstorming. In the end, they determined they charged him with resisting arrest and unlawful possession of a firearm. Those charges were absolutely dropped, but they weren't dropped until 14 months later, and the lawsuit stayed Hayes was in lawful possession of the firearm. Also, during the conversation, one officer said Hayes had no injuries, but the lawsuit claims Hayes sustained at least one lasting injury. They dislocated the man's shoulder. Medically documented, Hayes' life has been upended. Hayes said he has changed as a father since the arrest. He used to be the fun dad. But now he's trying to figure out where he and his children would live. He has found a job working in a warehouse, but it doesn't pay as well as the security job he lost because of the arrest. Hayes and his children are living with a family member, he said. He pays rent to the family member and has a car payment. Let's put him up. Upstanding individual, single father, works every day, works hard, is allied with police leadership in a way, being a security officer. Quote, it's hard to get out of the hole they put me in, Hayes said. I was working hard to be one of those guys. I had about two and a half years of security. Hayes had been previously approached by recruiters from, from the police department and had plans to enroll in the academy until his arrest. Now he doesn't have the desire to be an officer. Keep his picture up. Mr. Hayes, I want to say this to you. The universe rewards two things very well. Courage. And wisdom. You operated in wisdom. You operated in courage. I want you to know that you are respected, you are admired, 
you are loved. I appreciate what you do as a father. I appreciate what you do as a black male. I appreciate what you do as a leader. Sometimes in life, you have to find your mess to find your message. I had to do the same. But what is your message to the world? Well, your message is your mess with age on it, M-E-S-S-A-G-E. Sometimes moments like this have a way of providing an avenue to our greatest self. I encourage you to do all you can do to keep your head up and know that you have the power to transform every negative energy against you. All right, we got more on the other side. It's indisputable sticking. You are trash. Okay. Okay. All right. Keep talking. I will. Okay. What for you, classmates? What you gotta do? I, I tell you what. You gotta I'm a stupid everybody. Yeah, I'm a she stupid is stupid. He hit my plate. I'm a stupid. Fix your car. And stop honking at people when you don't need Shut to. Your Put up the picture full of mass. All right, we're gonna do this properly. Denisha Lewis is the woman who was verbally assaulted. By a security guard, she told a story to KHOU11. After the video of the man using racial slurs went viral, and well known activists are now asking the police to investigate, okay? He needs help, Lewis said. I may even need counseling. Lewis said that she was driving along Airport Boulevard near the Southwest Freeway on Thursday. When she honked a horn at a man on a motorcycle who was not moving after light turned green. She then went around him. He accelerates his gas, comes from the right lane, and punches my rear mirror, uh, the side mirror, Lewis said. She said she saw the man pull into a 7 Eleven convenience store and she pulled in next to him. I walked in, I said, Excuse me, sir, did you just punch my mirror? He said, F you, you N word, B word. Yeah, she is a stupid N word, the man said on the video. Lewis said she started recording on Snapchat, which stopped recording and didn't capture the entire exchange. In the video, the man is David Tupper. All right, let's put him up. David Tupper repeatedly spewed racial slurs at Miss Lewis before she left. Tupper spat on her. When I walked off, he then followed me. Come here, you N-word, B-word. Come here, you N-word, B-word. And then he proceeds, as she says, spit on me, Lewis said. She has since filed a report with the Stafford Police Department. Now, let's put up the big homie, um, Cornell X. Cornell X. Now, Brother X has been doing advocacy and activism. For a very long time and is well positioned on issues, able to debate with the best in the world. So he stepped into the situation to help Miss Lewis. Quote, this man is a danger to society, X said. He's already demonstrated he will commit a hate crime against an African American and use racist, hateful language on a female, spit on her, walking around with a gun. End quote. I completely concur. Exclaims the man works for a private group named Verintegra Security and Investigation. The company issued a statement Saturday saying the man was a temporary employee 
And quote, we have had no contact with him since early August. The company posted the following a statement on LinkedIn and provided a little more context to the fact that they don't know him, they don't support him, nor would they ever at this point knowing his, well, proclamation. All right. Uh, so once again, uh, we have police not in action, uh, is non existent. Where's the comment? Where's the, hey, we're going to make an example out of this fellow? Um, nothing. So we'll bring you the update as it comes. We're going to push the police along with um, Brother X to make sure something happens righteous that should happen. It's called justice. Interesting story. Uh, Dwight Howard accused of assaulting, forcing himself on a man, um, doesn't deny uh, the encounter, denies the nature of the encounter. Uh, so let's put it up for a mass. A man named Stephen Harper has accused Dwight Howard of assault, battery, intentional infliction of emotional distress, and false imprisonment. Uh, according to the narrative, this took place in 2021. Howard, per the lawsuit, allegedly performed sexual acts. Um, that Harper did not consent to. The former NBA star admitted communicating with Harper on Instagram before eventually meeting him. Harper provided text messages and Uber receipts to prove he did hook up with Howard at the player's residence. Harper reportedly visited Howard on July 19, 2021 per Radar Online. According to the three-time defensive player of the year, the sexual acts that happened that day were all consensual. They were all consensual. Stephen Harper, though, argued that was not the case. In his complaint, Harper wrote that Superman was also brought a man dressed as a woman who wanted to be called Kitty, K-I-T-T-Y. He did not want to join the sexual activity that Kitty and Dwight Howard were undertaking, but was allegedly forced by the NBA, former NBA star, to do so. Harper went to police a year later, according to a July 2022 incident report from the Gwinnett County Police Department, which has obtained, which was obtained by ESPN. No charges have yet been filed. Quote, this report was made following Mr. Harper being blocked on social media and after the first demand for payment was rejected, Bailey said. In the Georgia, in Georgia, the statute of limitations for filing this type of civil suit is two years from the date of incident. Um, so there are other claims uh, in the past. Um, let's put it up. Um, it is interesting to note in 2018, uh, Messin LJ claimed he dated Howard before he found out that the former NBA player was sleeping with a transgender woman. Okay, uh, he then claimed that Howard and his pastor threatened to threaten and harass him online. The author and entrepreneur also alleged that Howard wanted him to sign a non-disclosure agreement NDA and accept hush money. Um, and a lawsuit proceeded uh, and who denied uh, against Howard, who denied knowing him personally at that time. Um, all right, so uh, we shall see uh, how this shapes out. Uh, obviously, there's no issue with whatever sexual orientation uh, a person may have, none at all. Uh, but obviously, these allegations are disturbing at face value. All right, we'll bring updates as they come. The bullpen is next. Stick and stay. Let's get it. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the bullpen.
you have presidential candidate, Cenk Uger on the show. Cenk, good day, welcome. Thank you, Rashad, I appreciate it. Um, uh, how are you doing? I'm doing quite well, man. So this is a different context. So let me first ask you, uh, what the hell are you thinking? Yeah, great question. Yes. Uh, so. Look, I'll tell you the reason that I launched the campaign. Uh, I'm worried, I'm very, very worried that Joe Biden's gonna lose and someone needed to affect this campaign and take it off the course that it's on right now. Cuz it's on a collision course with fascism. I believe that Donald Trump is an actual fascist. I think that he used a fake elector scheme to try to do a coup against America. And and Joe Biden right now is down 10 points among independents. He's down in five out of seven swing states. He's down uh, 24 points on the economy, 75. I mean, this is really chilling and it's sad. And I don't wanna have to say this and I don't like that Joe Biden is making me say this. But 75% of Americans don't even believe that he is going to survive a second term. It is insanity to run Joe Biden. Uh, in if, it, if this is the most important election of our lifetimes, I would hope that every rational person would agree. We should pick the strongest Democratic candidate and not just go, oh well, let's be polite and let's be deferential to, to people already in power. And Joe Biden would really like a second term, so his legacy is slightly better. Well, I got news for President Biden. Your legacy is not going to be very good at all if you uh, lost the country on your watch. You know, I have friends that work uh, in the White House. And according to them, there was no plan for Joe Biden to run for reelection, actually that this was supposed to be a transition dynamic. Um, they would probably do the political thing with the VP, Kamala Harris, make her the pick according to insiders. They don't really get along, they don't like each other. You know, It's normative in, in that relationship. So now you have uh, a president who 70% of the people who voted a Democratic primary are like, you know, we'd rather have somebody else um, other than Joe Biden. And then the numbers are completely opposite in the Republican primary where you got the majority of Republicans say, hey, we love Trump. And this guy's doing everything he can do to be as offensive as, as possible. I agree with you, I do think he's a fascist. But let's talk about possibility and probability, all right? So here's your possibility, Jank. The possibility is you end up resonating, you get 10%, 15%, 20%. If that happens, if that starts to happen, all of a sudden, you may get a Senator Warnock that jumps in. You may get um, you may get the governor. You may get Newsom jumping in. You may get other folk who said, "No, I'm going to you know wait this one out." Actually, jumping into the race. What is your sentiment about that? Yeah, hundred uh, percent. If we're going to pick the strongest candidate, uh, we should have everybody that uh, is that qualifies uh, under that category in the race, so the voters get it to say, "Okay, no, we've heard them out. We think." This person is the best person and we're going with them. So it could be anybody, it could be Governor Whitmer. She would have Governor of Michigan, she'd probably lock up Michigan, have a great chance of winning. Could be Governor Shapiro of Pennsylvania, lock up Pennsylvania, beat a Trump acolyte by 15 points. So he's tough, he's strong, he's relatively moderate. He's got a twinge of progressive in him. And Governor Bashir in Kentucky, he's a Democrat in Kentucky, most popular Democrat in the country. And now, as you mentioned there, I'm starting to hear calls for Senator Warnock. But all this is possible if Joe Biden gets out of the race. And so that's why I bought JoeBidensGonnaLose.com. Sorry, not Joe, I always make that mistake. 
Biden is going to lose.com because now the Biden team is in a panic and they're buying all the other URLs. Okay. <laughs> and so you know you're in trouble if you're buying URLs about how your candidate's going to lose. I mean, they're worried about me. And and so, and the reason they're worried about me is because I'm a proxy for all of those other people. I'm I'm basically shining a light on this massive problem that we have that we have an 80-year-old who is way down on the polls. He's now that. He's at 39%, he was at 54% when he won last time. He's 15 points lower than when he barely won to Electoral College. So would Senator Warnock do better? Of course he would. Would Governor Whitmer do better? Of course she would. Would I do better? Of course I would. I have incredibly popular positions that the American <laughs> people would love. And I don't right. speak like a regular politician. I tell you that there's massive corruption in Washington, things that resonate. But it doesn't have to be me. It just has to be our strongest candidate. You know, and I think one of the dynamics in our two-party system, which is already horrible and because of corporations, in my opinion, is that you don't really get a selection. So you have this thing called an election that looks like a selection, but that's only a disguise. And typically, the individuals who are presented to us to vote for are people that have been handpicked by the same gatekeepers that we talk against in our social narratives, such as corporations and bank CEOs, et cetera. They have interest. And so we'll see the debate. We'll see the debate about a school in Mississippi. We'll see that public debate. But we don't see the debate when they vote for the banks and they're voting on the same side when it comes to that economic policy. Let's talk about you being a proxy. I think you said something quite interesting. And I actually believe that makes you one of the most unique candidates to do this. You're the first actual candidate that I've heard literally say both other people. Um, if you think they're stronger, both other people. You have also said if somebody has delivered for you, that's who you're supposed to vote for. That's how politics is played, right? Now, have you made efforts to talk to some of these other individuals on record, off record, to say, listen, this is what I'm doing. This is why I'm doing it. Pay attention to what I'm doing. Look at the numbers. Yeah. So first of all, I talked to about a dozen people uh, to get uh, to get in this race, and uh, and I, I I tried everyone before me uh, because uh, you know some of you might have heard I have this issue that I'm a naturalized citizen. We can get to that in a second, uh, but that creates an extra hurdle other than name recognition, other than all the other mainstream media and all the other issues that I'd have to get past. So uh, this isn't about me. This is about picking the best candidate possible. And everyone knows it's not Joe Biden. Yet we're all going, well, it would be impolite. So let's just crash into the mountain. Okay. So I could explain that analogy in a minute. But um uh so now after that didn't work, and I tried everybody from progressives to mainstream candidates to John Stewart. <laughs> so um and, and so then I realized, okay, we gotta break the glass here because this is an emergency. So I, I'm an icebreaker. I'm a guy who can go in and shake things up and go, guys, This I need you to snap out of your trance because we it, it's not gonna help us if we're in a MAGA-like bubble. And our bubble is, oh, Biden is down 15 points from when he barely won. I bet he does a miraculous comeback and that's our best hope. 
No, 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 no. And don't tell me there aren't other Democrats that could beat Trump. That's crazy. That's saying that the Democratic Party is awful. And it has no candidates that could beat one of the most unpopular politicians of our lifetime. No, I believe in the Democratic Party way more than that. And right, and Dean Phillips is considering getting in the race. He's a congressman. I've invited him into the race. I'm inviting all the governors. I'm inviting everybody. Let's go. Let's go. We're running out of time. Let me talk about a very interesting blueprint that I see. Donald Trump and Hitler. And I know those comparisons have been made in ways that create, uh, oh, here we go again, kind of response from some people. Let's look at the actual facts. Hitler attempted to overthrow his government with a small faction of individuals who were extreme. He was unsuccessful. They arrested him. They put him on trial. He gets convicted. They put him in prison. A lot of people forget this part of the narrative of Hitler. He goes to prison. They decide to let him go early. They don't. They do not give him the maximum. He gets out. He has now defeated the government that nobody really likes. He becomes their proxy for sticking it to the man, so to speak. And then the racism was already there. The issues that permeated in that culture are already there. He just personified them. And so he becomes this evil dictator. Well, it wasn't just him, it was a Nazi party. It was the philosophy, the ideology, the numbers were increasing. So now you have Trump. Trump attempted to overthrow this government with a small faction of extremists, comparatively speaking, they're small. Now he's on trial, multiple trials. Uh, civil, upcoming criminal. And Jenk, does he do the same move as Hitler? Is that energy back on this planet? If they don't lock his ass up and throw away the key. Yeah, I, I think he does. And, and so look, unfortunately, Democratic leaders have used a lot of hyperbole in the past. So uh, for some of them, they've got issues where uh, people perceive them as a boy who cried wolf. Yeah. But in this case, the actual wolf has arrived. Right, and and I have never been in the camp of the boy who cried wolf, uh, and so in and even today I will tell you, Ron DeSantis, I loathe the guy, but he's not a fascist. He never tried to end a democracy. He passed laws we don't like. He's done terrible things, and we're going to vote against him. But he never tried a fake elector scheme. He never tried a coup. He never had uh, supporters uh, break into the Capitol uh, chanting about murdering his own vice president. This is what fascists do. It's not hyperbole. He's a bona fide fascist. And then on top of that, look, he said recently that immigrants are poisoning the blood of our nation. It is a weird thing to say. It is an unusual thing to say. It is a phrase lifted right out of Nazi propaganda. So only Hitler and Trump have used that phrase. He's basically telling you, hey, don't say I didn't warn you. I used Nazi lines. I had dinner with Nazis, Fuentes, etc. Mm -hmm. I said that there were very good people on the Nazi side. How much clearer did I need to be? I already tried a coup. And I told you, by the way, they're saying now we're going to bring in 4,000 shock troops. That's what they're calling them. And we're going to, they're going to fire most of the people in the executive branch and non-political people, and they're going to replace them with cronies and what I would call brown shirts. Like we're not getting the level of urgency that the country's in right now. And if anyone got it, they would never run an 80 year old that 
Two thirds of the country says, do not run. We do not want you to run. How intensely selfish is Joe Biden that he's gonna risk the country and he's gonna risk democracy because he'd like a second term. I don't care what you'd like, you've got to step aside. So my website is jankforamerica.com. You could also get there from bidensgonnalose.com. It's bidenisgoingtolose.com. But guys, we have to do something. And so use me as the icebreaker because fascism is actually at our doorstep and is currently leading in the presidential race. Let's pick the strongest candidate. This is not rocket science. Who gives a damn what the people in power want? The Democratic Party is not supposed to be some authoritarian party where it was, oh, the president has said it, an incumbent has said it, everybody bow their heads. No, do not bow your heads. Support my campaign so we can knock Biden out and get some excellent candidates in this race to beat the fascists. You know, I've noticed over the years, dear brother, that a lot of the US senators, a lot of the people in political power, they're actually in a bubble that separates them from the suffering of everyday people. And so the policies that they get to govern and rule on and promote, sometimes oppose, they don't really feel these policies, they don't feel them. And because of that, there's always this lack of experiential knowledge. They cannot understand how one election cycle can adversely impact so many people at one time, they can't feel it. Many times they don't have the social structure to help them feel it. So they're making a decision based on, well, it's a job profile. It seems as if this is the right thing to do because it's part of the party platform. And so you lack passion when you come to the table like that. Let's talk about his age. I don't think his age is actually the issue. I think his lack of delivery is the issue because Bernie Sanders was not a spring chicken himself. But he presented ideas that people actually gave a damn about, could resonate to, and were excited over. So they were excited about him. Um, Biden, he's he's not the new ideas guy. He's not the passionate individual to do, to make a delivery for you. He won't suspend normative rules uh, to make sure that we can actually pass legislation that makes sense. I believe that Joe Biden would have delivered George Floyd Policing and Accountability Act if he would have delivered. Um, on some of the uh, social programs related to um, enforcing uh, equal pay for equal work, uh, making sure the corporations did not get away with some of the massive violations that they're getting away with, including uh, criminal justice system, both judicial and police. If he would have delivered these things, we would have made college affordable, uh, free, uh, at least one or two options every state, et cetera, et cetera. If he would have done these things, Jank, I don't think we talk about his age as much. Yeah, look, there's two different things here. So first of all, on the age, it is what it is, and it, it, it depends on how well you're doing, right? So Bernie Sanders has not shown any sign of decline, but we're kidding ourselves if we can't see the decline in Joe Biden. It doesn't matter whether you love Joe Biden and you root for the Democrats. It matters whether you win the independents, and every independent can see the decline. And by the way, why is Joe Biden being stubborn? Well, when you're in mental decline, people dig in. And I've seen it happen to family members and I've seen it happen to loved ones and they get more and more stubborn. And so that this the decision should not be left up to just Joe Biden. Okay, now in terms of delivering, you're 100% right, Rashad. So public option is seven out of 10 Americans wanted. It's incredibly popular. He promised it, didn't even propose it, didn't even bother. Yeah. 
Paid family leave pulls at 84%. You gave it away, didn't fight for it at all in Build Back Better, threw it away instantly, right? Uh, paid uh, $15 minimum wage. Again, intensely popular. He had the two Delaware senators vote against it. He's actually against $15 minimum wage. If you had delivered higher wages as people were struggling with inflation, you think we'd be in the situation we are today. If you delivered on incredibly popular proposals, do you think you'd be in the situation you are in today? And one last thing, they tell you that the filibuster is immovable. It is a lie, it is not true. The filibuster was lifted for raising the debt ceiling in the first two years. That was because they were worried that their beloved, the most important constituency that they have, the stock market, and people who have money in the stock market and really wealthy donors, their money was in jeopardy. So all of a sudden, they got rid of the filibuster immediately for that vote. They're like, filibuster, parliamentarian, who cares? Who cares? This is really important. It affects rich people, okay? But when it came to voting rights, they're like, oh, sorry, filibuster, a parliamentarian, nothing we can do. Well, when you lie to people like that and you don't deliver, there's consequences and there should be electoral consequences here. So jankforamerica.com, I'm now doing updates on Facebook every day for the campaign. That's facebook.com slash official, And of course, at, at jankuger on Twitter slash X to get updates too. Because we have, we've got, you've got to use me as a proxy. We have got to get this guy out of here because he's going to lose. Jank, I know that it's difficult doing things like this, regardless of what people say, think, etc. I want to tell you, we appreciate the courage, dear brother. We appreciate the courage it takes to lead. All right, thank you. Thank you, Rashad. I appreciate it. And look, if I'm not a voice for people who are disaffected in this country, it's not going to work. But if I am their voice, that that is a deep and great honor, and I will take any sacrifice. Uh, to deliver for them and to shout from the rooftops what they want heard in this country, which is that we need strong Democrats to defeat fascists and to fight for us to get these bills passed. They're incredibly popular bills, but you must fight your own donors to get them passed. Very well said, every generation is responsible for securing and enhancing the freedoms that they've been handed. There is no perfect generation, period. All right, thank you, brother, I appreciate you being on the show. Thank you, Richard. All right. Um, I just want to say this before we go. It was Dr. King who told us, uh, don't engage in gradualism. If you want change, the change has to be quick, swift, has to be, well, radical. And they called our brother radical. So just understand what that means. That means that you actually want your demands met. That's what that means. All right. This has been a beautiful show. Remember, take care of yourself, take care of each other, take care of the planet. Remember, the truth is always indisputable.